You are listening to Mining Stock Education, where you'll learn from the top leaders in the natural resource sector and uncover quality mining investment opportunities. In my experience helping junior mining companies conduct due diligence, many of the things that the mining companies use to evaluate and value their mineral deposit are not the same necessarily as what a retail investor would be looking at. So I found that to be very intriguing. Welcome back to Mining Stock Education. I am your host, Bill Powers, and we as mining speculators invest in these small micro cap junior miners because we see the outsized potentials. And sometimes we can get drunk on the outside potentials and not properly weigh all the risks or hurdles that we have to get over to reach potential outsized gains. And some of those risks deal with permitting, whether it's water, whether it's land use, or whether getting an environmental permit. And these are things that if we don't have the expertise, we may not be able to properly assess the full risk. We may talk to the CEO. They're, of course, going to be positive in their outlook. But I've learned that you kind of want to talk to the most negative person or the person uh, seeing the risk the clearly the clearest if you really want to assess these things as part of your due diligence before you invest in a junior mining company. So with that introduction, you're going to really appreciate the insights of my guest today. His name is Marty Strat. He is a land use and environmental attorney that focuses on permitting mining projects throughout the United States. He has experience, which includes permitting open pit metallic mines with heap leach processing facilities for both junior and publicly traded mining companies. And he also has experience with sale and acquisition of mining and exploration assets. And he's also a listener of the show and a a burgeoning junior mining speculator himself. So with that introduction, Marty, welcome to the show. Thank you, Bill. All right. So as I mentioned, you're a lawyer, you work uh, in land use and permitting, but give us more in-depth uh, background of your experience in the sector. So my background is in land use generally, and I started out doing uh, permitting for shopping centers, warehouses, and residential projects throughout California. And I learned the, uh, you know, the ins and outs. I got some really great experience. And then several years ago, I had an opportunity to specialize in the mining industry. And it turned out I absolutely loved it. And since then, I have devoted my practice to uh, land use and permitting issues for the mining industry, both hard rock, uh, metallic projects, and building materials aggregate projects. Uh, and now I'm, I'm doing that throughout the country, as you mentioned. And if I had to summarize what I do, I would summarize it as I review the permitting requirements start to finish for a a conceptual mine plan. And then I articulate the different state, uh, local, and federal laws that apply. And then you summarize the different permits that the company will have to obtain in order to uh, start mining. Uh, I help develop strategies to increase permitting efficiency and coordinate timing to the extent you're able to. And of course, increase the defensibility of the evidence you put into the record that the agencies put into the record in anticipation of litigation, because um, it is often the case that your your permits will be challenged in court. Um, And during the process, I help coordinate the preparation of technical surveys and mine plans to support applications, things such as uh, species studies, water quality studies, uh, things of that nature that you need to submit in support of a permit application. 
So we often talk about how at the politics plays a big role in whether minds go forward in the United States. But as I'm hearing you say this, I, I guess at the grassroots level, who the company hires for their attorney and their counsel matters too to, to navigate them through this process. Tremendously. Um, you know, federal law will generally, federal law will be the same. Let's say you're in one of the Western states where there's a lot of hard rock mining. Federal law is generally going to be the same. There's some, there's some statewide changes, um, but it's mostly the same. So then, you know, you can have people with knowledge of that law, you know, help you with a project in one state versus the other. But when you go into a specific state with specific state laws that may be foreign to someone, you absolutely need to have someone local, uh, someone who's done it before, someone who knows the ins and outs, because these are uh, very expensive time, uh, lengthy projects that take a while to permit and you there's just really little room for error. So absolutely, it's, it's important to have uh, good counsel. Okay. So as a permitting lawyer, what are some current events that are relevant to mineral development on public lands that you can share about? So it's really interesting, Bill. You, we hear a lot right now, and including on your show from your other guests about the prior, prioritization of the electrification of the U.S. Uh, transportation network, the shift to clean energy. And this all sounds great, but you don't always see um, practical on the ground implementation of things and activities to help accomplish that. Uh, for example, there's a tremendous amount of uncertainty right now uh, during permitting, not only for mines, but for all sorts of activities uh, on federal lands. And, and the reason for that is the National Environmental Policy Act, or also known as NEPA, is in the process of being changed uh, by the Biden administration. This was the, the NEPA was also changed for the first time since the 70s by the Trump administration. So you have this ping pong back and forth of the of the substantive law that applies to environmental review for activities on public lands. It's very difficult to ramp up for a permitting process and then have the rules change. And then have NEPA, you know, be changed. It, it can change the whole trajectory of your of your uh, process. And it can change what you have to provide to federal agencies reviewing your application. In addition, it's, again, it's, it's a similar pattern. The Trump administration changed sections 404 and 401 of the Clean Water Act. These are uh, the sections that apply to the discharge uh, of, of waste into uh, waters of the U.S. So you, if, if you're going to impact the water of the U.S., such as a stream, a river, those types of things, and many in between, uh, you have to get a 401, 404 permit and you have to get a 401 certification. These rules were changed and now they're being changed again. So this creates uncertainty. In addition, the Biden administration is also proposing changes to the Endangered Species Act, which, like the others, was adjusted by the Trump administration. So it's it's really affecting the ability to uh, to proceed with applications that are in play under one administration, and then all of a sudden they change, that the goalposts are moved during the subsequent administration. Um, in addition to that, you have, again, you have this prioritization of electrification, which means we need certain minerals. We need more of certain types of minerals, such as lithium is one of the minerals that's often talked about, Yet, and copper, yet you have withdrawals and withdrawal studies 
or the reversal or reconsideration of projects that were approved several years ago. Uh, it's really unfortunate that these, these companies go through four years of permitting. You get your permit. There is a change in administration. And all of a sudden, your project is going to be reconsidered. Uh, you know, there's nothing you can do, and there's nothing you can do to stop it. So that's that's kind of a mixed message, in my opinion. Um, it would be better if 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 those projects had more support. Um, in addition, what I found really interesting and is something that you don't hear a lot about in the news is you know the 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 new Build Back Better legislation. Um, there is a angle to it that we want to increase uh, clean energy. We want more, we want cleaner infrastructure in the U.S. That same bill, you know, it's very long. I haven't, I've by no means read all of it. I've read little bits. Um, it has proposed mineral withdrawals in it. it. It proposes the withdrawal of several large, or at least one in particular, very large copper deposit. So on the one hand, you want cleaner infrastructure, which requires more copper. On the other hand, you are going to propose the withdrawal of one of the most important copper deposits in our country. And then the last thing I'll note is that same bill, and as has been discussed on your show, proposes for the first time a royalty for mining activity on public lands that occur under uh, mining claims located under the mining law of 1872. So this is, this is really controversial. What the proposed rule would be is that future projects would have to pay an 8% royalty on the gross income from mining. And existing projects, whether you've been operating for a year or 10 years, it would apply retroactively and you would be swept into this uh, regulation and you would have to pay a 4% royalty for your gross income from mining. When you say apply retroactively, like going back to when you initially started production or... Sorry, let me clarify. No, not back to when you start production, but in a, retroactively in a sense that you've already got your permit, you've already you've already cleared the, the regulatory hurdles, and now you're going to be subject to a new requirement. That this is like you're in the you middle started. of a basketball game and the refs are changing the rules in the middle of the game, right? That's what this is like. Exactly, exactly. Yeah. So these are all things that are definitely important things to keep an eye on. Uh, we're in the first year of a new administration. These, you know, these things are, are all going through the process they will take a while. Um, but those are, those are some of the things that stand out to me as current events affecting uh, the, the precious metal industry. So for mining investors that want to invest in the United States, are the risks for mining investors in the United States increasing, staying the same or decreasing in your opinion? I would say they're, they're slightly increasing due to uncertainty caused by rule changes. I will say that it's just a, it's, it's always been risky because it's so, it's a very complicated uh, capital intensive process and it always has been, and it probably always will be. So that in and of itself makes investments in this industry somewhat risky in comparison to others. So Marty, you, we got in contact through the show. You, you started listening to the show and reached out to me and I thought you would be a great guest for my audience. Uh, what are some of your observations with the lawyer's lens listening to some of my interviews and the content that I put out that what would you like to say to my audience as a result of you listening to this show? Well, thanks again for having me on builds. And it was great to make contact with you. And I've been listening to your show for about six, seven, eight months now. And I've been, uh, I've become a huge fan. I really enjoy listening to the different perspectives you have on the show. And recently I was listening to some talks and 
some, I, ha I had two observations. One is that you hear a lot about how retail investors evaluate and uh, evaluate potential investments in, in junior mining projects. And they have lots of things that they want, that they recommend looking at, and they're all right. And they're all very, very important. What stood out to me is that in my experience helping junior mining companies conduct due diligence, many of the things that the mining companies use to evaluate and value their mineral deposit are not the same necessarily as what a retail investor would be looking at. So I found that to be very intriguing. You have a company who's going to purchase the asset. Obviously, they're going to look at the geology. They're going to look at the value of, of, the, of the mineral body. But they're also going to look at things like things that are going to affect their ability to permit and develop that project. And many of these things are not well understood, I suspect, by many of your listeners. And, and they're quite important. And, the, and it kind of relates to my second observation is you hear a lot of people say, you got to know your jurisdiction. You have to know your jurisdiction. That's completely correct and accurate. But what does it mean to know your jurisdiction beyond just saying that that country supports mining or doesn't? What is it about that country and its process or processes that are either good or bad uh, for an investor? for a project and, and the people who invest in it. So that's really what I was, you know, wanted to kind of share some perspective on today. So what should my listeners look out for more when they're doing their due diligence? What, what more could you contribute? So let's start with the basics. You want to understand the substantive and procedural requirements of permitting that will apply to the project. For, for example, who is the lead agency? If you're at the federal level, are you, are you, does the company need permits from the Bureau of Land Management, BLM, which generally supports mining? Um, it's, it, it permits mines, it, it has a well-defined process, or is it from an agency, whether, you know, whether it be a, a state or a county or a city that does not have a track record of supporting, uh, supporting these types of projects? That's, that's absolutely critical. If you can't get your agency to support your project, it's going to be an uphill and, and likely a longer climb um, than you would than you would have if you if you're in a, a supportive environment. Um, the Forest Service also, you know, I, I would say the BLM is at the federal level. The BLM, that's you know, that's that's where you want to be. Forest Service also has experience, but it, it, it probably does less mining mining review than BLM. And then the third would be the National Park Service, which there is there are mines in national parks or, or areas regulated by the National Park Service. And if they're your lead agency, that's going to change the timing significantly in comparison to projects with the BLM or the Forest Service. So that's, that's I would say, one of the first things you look at. Um, beyond that, what's the permitting process scope? Is, you know, the, the BLM and, 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 and how well-defined is it? BLM, they they apply the 3809 regs. They're very specific. They're very well defined. You can, as a company, understand what you have to do to get a permit. It's very clear. It's been done many times. If you, if you on the other hand, are trying to permit in a national park, and you have to permit under the national parks mining regulations, it's a whole different ballgame. It can take much, much, much longer. 
So these are the types of things that are directly relevant to uh, when you may see value on an investment, depending on the lead agency. Uh, in addition, and I'll talk about a little bit more beyond uh, after I just introduce the concept. What's your land use plan like? Uh, land use plans are basically maps that will show what is allowed or what is not allowed or what types of things you have to watch out for if you do something in a particular area. For example, in California, there's the uh, Desert Renewable Energy Conservation Plan, DRECP. It's massive. It's a land use plan that covers much of the uh, desert in Southern California. It, it prioritizes the development of solar projects. So if you have a deposit, it could be a great deposit, but if you're in an area that, that prioritizes something else other than mining, that, that's going to affect your ability to permit that project, or at least your timeline for doing so. Um, and with, with those basics out of the way, I wanna give you, your listeners, a few more specific examples of, of why it's important to know the substantive and, and procedural requirements of, of where you're working. Let's, let's, let's talk about California for, for a minute, where the majority of my experience has been. California has, it's the only state in the country that has a mandatory law that requires metallic mines to be backfilled after development. Obviously, where do they get the, the aggregate or whatever to put back in the mine? Where does that come from? It comes from your heat bleach pad. It comes from your waste. The waste has to be used to put to be to be used for backfill. It needs to be put back into the pit. Now, there's obviously there's obvious reasons why this is a flawed law. One, waste rock is is waste. It's it has processing agents in there, and these can be contained, and they are dirt on lined heat bleach pads. But when you have to move that move this material. You know, it opens up potential liability when you're dumping it into a pit, exposing it to the groundwater table. And the other, the other flaw is that you're moving material twice. So there's a big you know, prioritization of reducing greenhouse gas emissions. So you would think that moving it once is the, is the best, least environmentally impactful uh, plan. But no, once you're done, you have to put it back and get all that equipment back out there and, and put it back into the hole. So that's, that's something that's going to significantly change the value of a, of a project if it was on the California side or, for example, in Arizona. And whether we agree with these policies and their rationality or not, as an investor, you got to factor that into your discounted cash flow model, reclamation costs, and all these things, right? Exactly. Exactly. Um, another thing, the, you know, the, the backfill law has been on the books since, I believe, 2002. So people investing in California, they know, they, they likely know about it. Companies working in California, they know about it. It's not a surprise. It's only California too, right? Because like I've been to Nevada, there's open pit mines everywhere. The same thing with Idaho, right? It's just California. That's right. That's, it's the only state that requires backfill for metallic mine, mining projects. Now, backfill is, is, is traditionally contemplated in, in, in connection with reclamation plants. You may, you know, you may consider backfilling because you want to do something else on top of that land once mining concludes, or you want, you may want to do a partial backfill to close so, so that the groundwater table is no longer exposed, um, you know, and, and 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 things in between. You may want to turn the pit into habitat for wildlife, which could require some backfill. 
but they may, they make it they make it required. It's 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 very different. This question may be a little bit beyond your specific expertise, but isn't there a law coming into effect in California regarding like electric trucks? You have to have electric trucks to transport materials. I believe this is going to be an issue within the shipping industry. Is is there something that's that you know about this and I will be honest, I don't know the exact details. I have heard proposed <clears throat> proposed rule changes to that effect in California. I believe they there's there's a lot going on in Southern California right now with the ports. There's the port of Long Beach. Uh, there's there's ports up and down the coast, some of the busiest ports in our country. And there is a push to electrify those operations. And for those not familiar, you know, the the port activity causes a significant amount of distribution and warehousing activity in the inland area of the coast. So you get 50, 100, 150 miles in, um, there's a significant industry of, of warehousing distribution centers. They're massive. And what I have heard is that there's a new rule that require, that, that looks at these warehouses as an emitter of greenhouse gas and, and, air, and air quality impacts even though it's the building and the, and the impacts are not caused by the building, it's caused by the trucks coming to and from the building. So there are new requirements that apply to warehouses and distribution centers uh, in connection with the, the amount and types of trucks that come to and from their facility. So Marty, um, you've laid out so many things to think about when we're looking at a project, but are there any more project specific risks or issues that investors should ask the ex- executives when they're conducting due diligence? There, there absolutely are. And, and one more one more current event just to, to share with you in California, there is a proposed listing of the Joshua tree as a endangered species under state law. And the proposed listing area is the size of New Jersey approximately. So if you can, if you can imagine that in your head, putting New Jersey into the California, into the Southern California desert, where is, which is one of the places where mining activity occurs in California, and imagining all the Joshua trees in that area, the size of New Jersey, as being a protected species, meaning you can no longer just get, you can no longer clear these trees prior to mining or drilling. You will have to get uh, very complicated permits and authorizations from various agencies prior to doing so, because it would be a state uh, an endangered species. So uh, interesting stuff. That's that's an example of knowing your jurisdiction. Um, as for what to ask executives, some of the some of the some, there, there's a couple of things that are absolutely must asks, and uh, many of your listeners and, and you often recommend getting on the phone with the the executives, which I think is fantastic. Um, and aside from just talking about the value of their deposit or the grade of the minerals uh, being being drilled, ask about things such as water. Do you have water? Do you, where is your water source? If you don't have water for dust control, for process, processing activities, equipment cleaning, that's a major challenge because you can't just find water. So you want to know where they're going to get their water, assuming you're in you know, a desert area. Uh, what's their power? What's their power situation? Is there, are there, are there transmission lines uh, that they can tie into? Or is this a remote area where it may be a challenge to find somewhere to to uh, tie into power to, to run a facility. Um, back to the, the species, are there any species in the area 
that are there any known is there a known habitat in the area of this deposit this can be this can change the value of a project and investment significantly look at for example Ioneer's lithium mine project in Nevada you have a world class deposit i believe it's one of the biggest or the biggest lithium deposit in the US and they've been working it up and and getting ready for permitting or actually they're in permitting and a plant species was discovered on their site and as i understand it it's the only known location of this plant in the world so there was an environmental group that that applied for the listing of that plant as a protected or endangered species i believe it was granted recently so now that will change the trajectory of their of their of their permitting activities and the permits they need um, in order to develop that deposit is, is that another strategy of these anti-mining ngos then to when if they're trying to oppose and stop a mine from going forward is you know finding it an endangered species is that a new strategy i guess because i'm not up to speed on this i it's my understanding this has been done for a long time but in my experience looking at when i first started doing uh, permitting and land use for mines to today it is significantly more frequent right now i can think of multiple projects in the west where this strategy is being deployed it started and i saw i saw it started happening about 2 years ago and it came out of nowhere and all of a sudden you have these groups that are using this at the state and federal level uh to petition for the listing of of species they, they will figure out what's on that site and then they'll petition for the listing of that uh species there was there was a, a similar thing that happened at a mine in California several years ago uh the Golden Queen mine there was uh efforts to 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 get this mine going it had been permitted on multiple occasions it hadn't been developed and a new owner came around bought it started moving it forward and an environmental agency found the i believe it's the Mojave snail on site and petitioned for protection for the snail it was ultimately declined and it ultimately ended up not being a problem for them in terms of permitting but that's that's an example yes it's it's becoming very frequent lately the the, the fourth item that i would say is important to ask your the executives of a company you're considering investing in is like water like power like species um are there any known cultural or historical resources on or around the deposit um these could be uh something in, in the historical sense that uh an old settlement um uh artifacts or in the cultural sense it could be um something related to uh uh prior tribal activities in the area or settlements and these these can present serious challenges to the ability to uh to develop a a deposit it can be uh very complicated and it's a it's a very difficult situation to um resolve quickly so if if you have a cultural resources issue it's 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 safe to say that it's going to add a reasonable amount of time to your so, planning so marty if the investors listening to us are taking these pointers to add to their due diligence repertoire they're going to the ceo and they're asking these questions really to do thorough due diligence and you're a lawyer so you have to look at things from multiple angles who else should they go to let's say the cultural issue who else should they go to besides just getting the ceo's take 
That's a good question. Um, in some cases, you can go on the internet and look up um, look up land use plans and see if there's areas that are already uh, that already discussed. Let's say you have a project in in state X. Go on the federal land use plans for state X. Look in the area of the project and see what's out there. There'll, there, there will usually be different land use plans for different purposes. One will be, um, one could be where there's mineral deposits. One could be where solar activity occurs or is prioritized. Another could be where there's known cultural resources. So there's a wealth of information publicly available um, if you look at land use plans uh, that, are, that are available online. The other thing I would say is look up other projects that have been permitted in the region, if there are any, and find your find their find their environmental documents that were prepared. These environmental documents will usually they they have to address I would say approximately ten to fifteen different categories of impacts that may be affected when you do something like a mining project. Could be air quality, water quality, noise, transportation, uh, climate change, etc. Cultural resources will be in there historical resources will be in there. So you can find these, if you can find these documents, you can see what the section of those documents talked about. Was there a cultural resource uh, issue with the project just down the road? Chances are you may have a similar resources in the vicinity of this other deposit. So I've seen some companies go from two to $3 million market cap to literally multi-hundred million dollar market caps because they're legal uncertainty plays, whether there's a contention over ownership or whether there's a permitting issue that is resolved. And then the deposit is revalued by the investment community, literally by a hundreds folds time. Um, this is a great place for speculators to speculate. Do you have any thoughts you could share about this type of speculation in the junior mining sector? It's, it's an opportunity to hit a grand slam uh, if, you, if you do it right. And it's hard to, it's hard to say, it's hard to evaluate your chances of success without knowing more about the types of things I've talked about here today. If, if you, the more information you can get, if there's a permitting risk, the better position you will be to figure out if, if that problem is solvable. Maybe there's, maybe water's unclear but you can find it, you know, you can find it. Um, so it, it's, 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 it's hard to say without, you know, every, every, every project is, is so unique. And so the outcome is so fact intensive that it's hard to say, um, you know, whether or not investing in those types of projects is, is a good idea, but you can certainly uh, increase the chances of succeeding by asking these types of questions. And another thing about legal risk, Bill, is funny that you bring up is, I recently, I've been, I've been, as you mentioned, I've been a fan of your show for a few months now. I've been, I'm a beginning investor in this area. So I, I'm trying to read as much as I can about, and you, you read the prospectuses of a company, et cetera. And what stood out to me recently was in the legal disclaimers on one, instead of having in the prospectus I was reading, instead of having the general, generic, general legalese that you see, there was actually something really specific called out and discussed in the disclaimer and that really intrigued me so i started doing some research and i and i could suspect why they were telling their investors that so you know for your for your listeners look at that that language and the prospectus you'll see it it's the fine print 
usually it's going to say a lot about nothing. But if you see something specifically discussed in that paragraph, you should really inquire more about it before investing. Because so are they covering their rear end without letting you on to the full situation? Is that what you're saying? Right? Or and, and, and I wouldn't say it in a, in a, in a bad way, you know, covering your, their rear end. It, they, they, are, they are subject to regulations that require um, the provision of certain information. I believe it's, you know, if it's material, you need to tell it to your investors. So if, if, if something is causing them to tell you that, uh, there's a reason they're telling you that. And you should, you should really inquire more about what's going on there because that can usually be a way for you as a retail investor to see, you know, something that they may know during their, from their due diligence with their attorneys, but do not, does not necessarily get put into the public domain or listed in the prospectus. Okay. So Marty, as you said, you've been listening to my show now for a few months, you're a growing junior mining investor, but with all this experience that you have as a lawyer working in the business, um, what companies might you like junior miners to share? My favorite pick right now, Bill is Goldterra, who, who you have had on this show. Um, you've had Gerald Penitin and I've enjoyed listening to his, uh, discussions with you very much. I do not know Gerald personally, but I had the opportunity to, um, to help with the permitting of the Castle Mountain Project in California. It was one of the most exciting projects I've ever worked on. And I, my involvement was after Gerald, uh, Gerald's involvement with when he was Newcastle and prior to the acquisition with Equinox. Um, but I got to see Gerald's strategy and, and to hear about his, his, his concepts and his vision for the project. And it was really quite impressive. Uh, this project had been sitting around. It had it had closed um, when the price of gold went down in the mid '90s, and I see exactly what he did with Castle Mountain up in uh, Yellowknife with with uh, their project up there. And and I really when you when your listeners say you know know your management, I am so impressed with him and his accomplishments that when you listen to him talk, I, I you can see how determined they are and and how uh, you know how how positive and excited they are for that project and. I, I have a lot of uh, I have a lot of confidence in that in that team. And Marty, for the record, I didn't know you were going to say that, did I? You did not. You're right. You okay. did not. <laughs> Just, yeah, that, that wasn't scripted. I had no idea what you were going to say. <laughs> That's right. And and Gerald and Goldterra didn't. I'm not affiliated with them. Uh, nope. they, didn't, they didn't know I would say that. That's just that I've I've done a lot of reading on that, and I'm you know it's, it's a really exciting project. Yes. Okay. Best way to reach you. Obviously, your services. Thinking off the top of my head, you could benefit a fund that's looking at a potential investment, you could potentially benefit um, a junior miner that is dealing with legal issues permitting wise in the United States, or perhaps there's high net worth listeners to the show. There's many of them that may be interested in talking to you. What would be the best way to get in contact with you? Uh, LinkedIn would probably be the best way. And I can provide you with my uh, LinkedIn page for, for the show notes. And, and obviously just, I'm just a, I'm a big fan of the industry. I, when I started practicing in this area, I, I started to love it. And, and so I, I always welcome the opportunity to, to chat about projects or investments with, with uh, other interested parties. Excellent. Well, thank you for contributing to my show today, Marty. Thank you so much, Bill.
Thank you for listening to Mining Stock Education. Please subscribe and share this show with like-minded investors. Connect with us at miningstockeducation.com and sign up for our email list to stay in touch. Much success to you as you learn about, invest in, and profit from mining stocks. The mining business is one that generates gigantic wealth. You know, a good drill hole that converts might cost fifty or $100,000, and it might discover something worth a couple billion. There is no sector that I know of that has offered up as many predictable circumstances uh, where there was the possibility, certainly not the certainty, but the possibility of 10-for-1 returns as there is in small-cap and micro-cap mining stocks. Concomitant with that, if you don't do the work, or even if you do do the work and don't discipline yourself on the sell side, there are very few places in the world where you can lose as much money as quickly as in mining stocks too. I just started to study up on mining stocks and I just became fascinated because this is such a tiny sector and it's so volatile that either you could really, you could do really, really well, or you could pretty much get blown out of the water really quickly. The mining sector is a very risky sector. It can take your money very, very quickly. Don't fall in love with stocks. Don't be overly confident. And just do your work as best you can. Do your very best. But don't fall in love and don't get too overly confident because um, that's a recipe for disaster. I have met you know, professional retail investors that have made a tremendous amount of money on the junior mining space. Some of them aren't accredited, and they just they spend their days researching, talking to people, being on the phone, being pouring through financial documents. But it requires commitment. This podcast is for informational purposes only and is not to be considered personal legal or investment advice or a recommendation to buy or sell securities or any other product. We make every effort to be accurate, but the information presented is not to be considered infallible. It may contain errors and we offer no inferred or explicit warranty. If personal advice is needed, consult a qualified legal, tax, or investment professional. Do not base any investment decision on the information contained on miningstockeducation.com, our podcasts, or videos. Make sure you always conduct your own own thorough due diligence before investing. Realize that we may hold equity positions in or be compensated by some of the companies we feature and therefore are biased and hold an obvious conflict of interest. For our full disclaimer, please visit our website.